0: It's The World This Week, The World This Week, in partnership with The Daily Beast. With us, France 24 senior correspondent Catherine Norris-Trent, who's unpacked after her most recent trip to yes. Ukraine. But How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you, François.
0: All right, good to, good to have you. Uh, nice to uh, welcome uh, from uh, French broadsheet of record Le Monde staff writer Marie Gégo, former correspondent in Istanbul and Moscow. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks as well to, for joining us uh, to uh, uh, Joseph de a uh, Swiss journalist, author of Macron, des Révolutionnaire Président, the Revolutionary uh, President. We have, thanks for, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. We have not one but two biographers uh, of Emmanuel Macron. <laughs> Adam Plowright is a uh, France correspondent for the French news agency AFP. Your book is called, remind us?
2: It's called The French Exception.
0: The French exception. Thank you for joining us as well. Uh, the You can, by the way, listen, like, and subscribe to The World This Week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other fine streaming services. Who is she? The whole world was captivated Tuesday by an EU flag waving woman braving the water cannons of riot police outside Georgia's parliament. The opposition erupting over a bill that they say mimics the one on the books in neighboring Russia would have obliged uh, associations with more than 20% of funding from abroad to register as foreign agents. Well, whoever she is, she got her way. Parliament, controlled by the party of oligarch uh, Bidzina Ivanishvili, backtracking and killing the bill.
2: It is a very important day,
3: because George Andrew dumped the law,
1: crashed on law,
0: Marie Chico, this is, first of all, that iconic image, and now this. I mean, Georgia, we know they fought a war with Russia in 2008, but were you expecting this kind of a standoff?
3: No, it's a total surprise. It's a surprise also because uh, Georgian Dream, the ruling party, is formally uh, defending the uh, Georgian uh, candidacy to European Union. So it's so surprising that uh, uh, just now there are, Proposing this uh, terrible law, uh, which, as you said, was voted in, adopted in, in Russia, but in Belarus too, um, and of course uh, the European U- Union uh, reaction uh, has been that, uh, that this was a blow to the to the fundamental rights and freedoms of, of people. So uh, w- we still wonder why Georgian dream had to uh, present uh, this law in the parliament.
0: Well, does it have something to do with their leader who made his fortune in Russia as uh, first selling computers and then
3: in finance as an oligarch? Could be. It could be because uh, if we look carefully, we see that now uh, that uh, we see the the, the weakest uh, ex-Soviet countries uh, feeling a lot of pressure uh, from Russia. Uh, Not uh, directly, of course, but uh, we see that uh, in Moldova, for example, uh, there are a lot of demonstrations against the pro-European government. And here we see that uh, the uh, um, Georgian Dream uh, government, uh, which is not uh, so much pro-European, in fact, it it, it tends to be, but uh, there is here a big contradiction. So it's possible that uh, uh, Bidzina uh, Ivanishvili, uh, as you said, is under pressure from uh, Putin. Uh, it's uh, it's it's possible.
0: Yeah, on paper, uh, pro-European Russian media give him a, a wide berth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's w- one of the one of the talking points. And you heard marie Gégaud there, Ka- Catherine Nordstrand, uh, talking about the EU's reaction. I saw there was you know tweets of support from the European Council President Michel, But of course. He's got to be careful when he hits send, because everybody in uh, Moldova, Kazakhstan uh, and, of course, Ukraine are paying very close
1: attention. Absolutely. This is being watched very closely from Ukraine, where I just got back from. So speaking to people about what was happening in Georgia, I mean, they have a huge amount of sympathy for that pro-European feeling. They're following it very closely. Um, People in Georgia, of course, worried that they could be next in line or again in line for some kind of invasion. It, it just shows how very fragile this whole area is. When I traveled to Ukraine, we went back uh, in and out through Moldova, and the people there were telling us, look, there's this real undercurrents of instability. The government resigned, a new one came in. Talk about conspiracies to, to mount a plot, demonstrations. Mm-hmm. It's a very febrile region right now. In the yeah, history.
0: because since you've been there, this very week, uh, there were accusations by the separatist uh, government in Transnistria uh, of a Ukraine-backed plot to assassinate their uh, Moscow-backed leader.
1: Well, there's all kinds of reports coming around and obviously very contradictory in their realities. Um, you know, the the Moldovan government that just stepped down, the prime minister, said that they had got wind of a Russian plot to destabilize them. It, it's a really, really delicate moment and it could... At any moment, we saw how fast this flared up in Georgia. It could really flare up again in, in any of these states, I would say.
0: Uh, Georgia's pro EU president had vowed to veto uh, the bill if it had ever reached her desk. Salome uh, Zurabishvili spoke from New York Wednesday with the Statue of Liberty in the background. That did not go unnoticed in Moscow. Uh,
2: we see that the
4: we see this law has been withdrawn from discussion, but at the same time, we see that somebody's hand's involved, and we can't say it's invisible. It's clear to see. It's not from Georgia that she's addressing Georgians, she's addressing them from America, and someone's visible hand is trying to add an anti Russian element again here.
0: It's all part of a superpower showdown, Adam Plowright.
2: Mm, we've heard that one before, haven't we? I mean, the it, it, sort of this idea that, that's, you know, from the Kremlin, whenever there are any sort of demonstrations in, in former Soviet republics, then, you know, they, they tend to sort of come out and, and they see any anti-government process as being essentially a plot from um, and the US. And that, that sort of instinct that you, you see to sort of blame blame America, you know, comes out um, on each occasion, not just in that part of the world, I would add. But, um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, it, they, they've, you know, the Kremlin have been very clear. They see that America is being responsible for this. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no evidence of that. Um, there's the, the evidence seems to be that this is a. Uh, if you look at the, the opinion polls of of where people see their future as being as Georgians, they see it very much as as being a, a, a European uh, state. The decision to. Uh, to, to, to ask for membership of the European Union was, uh, you know, after the, the, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, was, was is extremely popular. Um, so it's you know, obviously outside powers are being being drawn in, but I don't see at this point that the role of the United States is a, is a very passive one, is, is one of supporting Georgian democracy. But, uh, but the idea that they're sort of behind, sort of fermenting these uh, these demonstrations, I think, is uh, is, is is pretty far fetched.
0: Joseph Tvek, where does this all leave Vladimir Putin? Uh, on the eve of the 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 uh, invasion of ukraine a year ago uh he was again hinting at this uh, this idea of uh, the russian world the greater russia uh, reconstituting the glory of days gone by uh, again i come back to that woman waving that flag in in in, in a former soviet state
4: well i think I mean, one of the reasons why, um, why this war happens and why this, he decided to go into Ukraine is because he couldn't imagine that the Ukrainians would be on the other side and that they would choose Europe instead of his world. And, um, and this sort of miscalculation is uh, visible everywhere. If we remember a year ago, before the war in Ukraine, there were some protests in Kazakhstan as well. And the Russians were seriously convinced that there was again an outside plot, etc. They could just not figure out or imagine that maybe it's just people who are discontent with the situation and want a different future. And this sort of basic miscalculation about where populations in these ex-Soviet states that 30 years ago broke free from the Soviet Union really are, and it's true they're not all in the same camp, but you know, there is some real discussion, real debate, there are differences there. That is sort of the root problem in a sense. Of, um, of why Putin has, to pursue, has been trying to pursue this policy and why it is, you know, uh, putting, putting up against limits everywhere.
0: But, marie let me play devil's advocate here. Is time and geography on Putin's side? I mean, Georgia can be as pro-EU as it wants, but it's always going to have Russia as its neighbor.
3: Of course, uh, this is a reality. But uh, at the same time, you see uh, Russia and Putin is weaker as ever. So um, maybe that's why we see what is happening now in Georgia, in Moldova, because uh, again, uh, Russia is uh, exerting pressure uh, against those states. And and it's not a new story. In 2003, um, Georgia uh, changed completely. uh, foreign policy, and was this, this idea of being a member of the uh, European Union, uh, of NATO, uh, was uh, on the agenda, pushed by uh, Mr. Uh, Saakashvili, the, the, the first uh, reformist uh, pre- president. Who's now in jail. Who is now in jail. And uh, in a bad shape, uh, we, we have been told. So uh, what is going on? It's always the same story. It means it was in 2003 in Georgia, then in 24, it was in in Kiev with the Orange Revolution. It came again to uh, Ukraine in 2014, and it was a little bit in Kyrgyzstan also, in Kazakhstan, you said. So uh, it's not going to stay here, and Russia has not uh, uh, immediately... It's not possible for uh, Russia to to push and to have uh, influence. I mean, who would like? Uh, we have seen these young people in Beliye. Uh, we absolutely understand that they don't want to be part of the Russian model. What is the Russian model? It's it wars, wars, putting uh, opponents in jail, in, in the better case, because we have seen that Navalny was poisoned. So. Putin has went very, very far, and his model is not very attractive, uh, I think, for uh, young people from these uh, regions.
0: It's not very attractive, but it can be formidable. Uh, Russia continuing with its campaign in Ukraine. Moscow Thursday carrying out its largest day of airstrikes across the country in a long while, uh, killing civilians all the way over in the western city of Lviv, knocking out power in the capital, employing hypersonic missiles in what it called a, a revenge, a, a stra- revengeous attack for last week's incursion by a pro-Ukraine militia in Russia's uh, Bryansk region. Again, it depends what the objectives are. Yosef uh, Dvrek is uh, uh, right. There, there, n- Ukrainians are not going to welcome Vladimir Putin with open arms, but he can reduce the eastern and southern part of the country to rubble.
1: Yeah, and he can, as they do on these, these days of mass strikes across the country, sow terror anywhere in Ukraine, very far from the front lines, even right there in Lviv in the west where people generally have been living quite normally as best they can when the electricity is back online, and the heating's back online. So that's the strategy behind these strikes, of course, is to take out energy infrastructure, which the Ukrainians, by the way, have been really successfully managing to repair in between the strikes. It's actually quite a remarkable story. But any more of it's been knocked out now, especially in the Kharkiv region. Um, and just to sow terror anywhere, basically to this psychological pressure that death can come at any moment and at any time. Um, in the east and in the south of the country, it's pretty much frozen at the moment i mean it's quite uh, artillery war um and they're trying to advance on foot but the conditions are not there at the moment obviously the town of bakhmut is pretty much encircled by russians there's a lot of slaughter mainly russian troops being killed i mean it, it's frozen on the east everyone's thinking that uh, come spring or summer there's going to be a new offensive and perhaps things will move there
0: Remember six months ago, those mystery explosions in the Baltic Sea that knocked the Nord Stream gas pipelines out of service, the ones that link Russia to Germany? Uh, The uh, German prosecutors have now confirmed what reporters from German broadcaster ARD and newspaper Die Zeit revealed this week, that investigators have searched a boat, found traces of explosives, and are on the lookout for a crew of five men and one woman who hired a yacht Out of the port of Rostock, ARD investigative reporter Georg Heil spoke with the France 24 debate. So quite close after the attack, uh, a foreign um, intelligence agency gave a tip, tipped off, gave gave a hint, uh, a Ukrainian commander was involved. There's lots of indication that uh, points to the fact that this was committed by divers, not by, by unmanned drones, not by submarines. Um, therefore, I mean, everybody can have a theory and nobody knows the the, the truth and can prove it. But um, if we talk about um, what is probable, what is police work finding out, then we are at the point that uh, divers were involved, that um, not necessarily a state has to be involved. I mean, we have to take into account that any country, any organization that would commit such an attack would uh, play a very risky game. Joseph devek, of course, it's important to stress that uh, we don't know the identity. They were using forged passports and uh, uh, for for the uh, rental uh, mm-hmm. uh, of this yacht. But w- what do you make of these revelations?
4: I don't know. I think it's, uh, I mean, history is plenty of incidents where we discuss even 20 or 30 years later what really has happened. You know, mm-hmm. who killed JF Kennedy? What is the meaning of life? Maybe it's one of these questions we'll never have a proper answer to. And to some extent, right now, it doesn't really matter either. Um, There is something that has been happening there. But the question now for the war is, in a sense, how do these revelations change sort of the political landscape in the West Mm -hmm. and support for Ukraine? Mm -hmm. And here, the main country we have to look at is how does it change the calculus in Germany? Mm -hmm. And I don't think these revelations, and we still don't know if it's Ukraine, if it's a private actor, etc., they don't seem to change the, the the political calculus in Germany to support uh, Ukraine, because the decision basically not to rely on Russian energy, it has been taken. We're not going to go back there anymore. And and now it's more, should it be really re- relieved that Ukraine is behind it, then it would certainly dent a bit of trust into Ukraine but, but I don't think in the short term we're going to see any political implications of this affair.
0: And, of course, adding fodder to, 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 to the argument of Josef there, Adam Plowright, is the fact that we've had a mild winter. Remember, the, 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 the uh, gas through the pipeline had already been suspended in September when these explosions happened. Uh, if we'd had big power shortages, would that public opinion have uh, swayed otherwise?
2: Well, that was certainly... Vladimir Putin's calculation, and 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 when they, Russia took the decision to start limiting gas supplies to 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 Europe at the start of the winter, his main calculation was that he would use that as leverage, uh, you know, to pressure European democracies um, against supporting Ukraine. Now, obviously, the the, the opposite uh, happened. That we had a, a mild winter. Um, Europe managed to stock up on gas um, in an extraordinary way. Supply uh, you know, secured. Uh, alternative supplies from different different countries and really that the, the sort of gas as a weapon this winter i'm not sure necessarily you know when you look forward possibly next winter might be more critical than 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 this one according to, to some experts but certainly that the, the the gas weapon was sort of neutered to a certain extent um over over this winter meaning that actually when the with the with the the pipelines being blown up didn't end up having the you know the impact that that it would have done at a different time as you say
0: all right, Germany's defense minister cautions against any hasty conclusions that would point to a Ukrainian or pro-Ukrainian group. He was speaking earlier in the week at the same meeting of EU defense ministers in Stockholm where his Ukrainian counterpart was in attendance.
3: For me, it's a little bit strange story because it's not, this story is nothing with us. And I think that investigation of uh, official uh, authorities will describe every details because it's, it's like a compliment for our special forces, but this is not our uh, activity.
1: That...
0: marie is that a denial or is uh, that a non-denial you know, denial? I,
3: I know quite a few states that that would uh, admit that uh, they uh, were responsible for, for such uh, an operation. So uh, we, we cannot say, the, the only thing we can say is that we have no information, as you said, forged passport, possible involvement of unidentified uk- Ukrainian groups, uh, non-affiliated with the Ukrainian government, which is really, really very uh, murky. So uh, I disagree with our uh, German colleague who said that uh, not uh, a state, maybe individual could do, could do this. I think that uh, it's, uh, it should be a state. A state is uh, 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 behind this. So, uh, but we have uh, several uh, candidates. It was uh, maybe uh, uh, good for Russia to do this. Uh, at the end, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, 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 scuttled uh, Gazprom and Gazprom uh, uh, relationship with, uh, uh, with um, consumers. So why not uh, uh, to scuttle also the, the gas pipeline and uh, to uh, put a uh, uh, relationship between Ukraine and Germany I- in trouble and f- f- hampering relationship uh, because Mr. Boris Pistorius, a German uh, uh, defense, defense minister. minister, said that uh, we should be cautious, as you said, and he said that uh, uh, it's possibly, it could possibly be a false flag operation. Yeah, uh, in, in this, it's hard uh, to
0: imagine, though, the Russians would want to... Blow up a a pipeline that they spent billions constructing.
3: Why? uh, Do you think it had sense to uh, begin this war and uh, ruining the the, uh, Russian economy, ruining uh, um, Gazprom? Anything's possible, Catherine? Rester? Yeah,
1: anything's possible, and all we know is that we don't know, really, <laughs> don't we? I mean, it was a highly sophisticated attack, so it basically looks like it involved divers um, taking huge, large amounts of explosives and going down, like, 100 kilometers or something. To the they say,
0: uh, so he said 70, 70 meters, okay. was, not 100, and he says there's a big difference.
1: Yeah, okay, well, the details of that are, uh, so 70 meters and um, basically to the sea floor, and detonating it, and then, you know disguising the tracks it's very sophisticated isn't it so that of course raises the question state actor non-state actor authorized by ukraine not authorized by someone else or not but it puts the doubt in there and it i guess would put the doubt um, and levels of trust amongst ukraine and perhaps some of its western allies the u.s have been slightly irritated with ukraine on several occasions about various attacks that have been carried out or sabotage um attacks so yeah again that could cause minor tensions or lack of confidence there as well
2: just on the, uh, what was interesting is the the attribution to the the Ukrainian non-state actors. You know, this came in a in a, a New York Times report at the start of the mm. week. that was mm. unsourced, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sourced yeah. to sorry, unnamed American intelligence officials. And I think you know if, if if the last you know twenty years, certainly going back to you know, I started my career in journalism at yeah, the time of the iraq war if there's something we should be suspicious of is 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 unnamed intelligence sources you know
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, Attributing the, things, and i think, it, I the think it's important invest- to remember that, that german, that's murky
2: that you know the german
0: investigation though relied on talking to actual policemen and they they told us a little more
2: th- that's right th- it, in terms of the yacht but the the attribution mm. to this mysterious group of ukrainians that, mm. that were acting outside of um, the lines of command in, in, in Kiev yeah. that came out of the, the New York Times report and I think that's which has sourced America beware talk. of unnamed yeah, sources <laughs> I, yeah, I think we should Absolutely. all be <laughs> healthily skeptical
0: of uh, <laughs> circle the date on the calendar Turkey's president signing the decree this Friday that confirms May 14th As the date of the first round of presidential and legislative elections, after two decades in power, Recep Tayyip Erdogan faces the headwinds of inflation, criticism of earthquake disaster, incumbent fatigue, and a united opposition on Monday. After many a melodrama, six parties agreeing on 74-year-old center-left leader Kamal Kilic Darulu of the CHP party.
3: The
4: door of the nation alliance is open to everyone who shares our common Turkish dream. I salute our 85 million people, regardless of belief, thought, ideology, or identity.
0: Marijego, uh, is this the face
3: of uh, change in Turkey? it's uh, it could be because in Turkey uh, although Turkey is not a democracy and uh, under Erdoğan, uh, less and less uh, uh, aspiring to democracy, um, we can say that uh, elections uh, are uh, always uh, a very real moment. We have seen this uh, during the municipal elections in uh, 2019 when uh, Ekremolu was uh, elected. It, it was a big surprise. mayor of Istanbul. But, uh, yeah. It was really a surprise. Nobody was uh, expecting it. So it could be. uh, And if we look carefully to the uh, electoral surveys, we see that uh, Erdogan uh, is not uh, in the the best uh, um, conditions. And uh, the earthquake has probably uh, weakened him a lot too. So the economy is, uh, is in dire straits. So I think... We, but the opposition has to keep it together. I mean, we saw this this
0: near row with the, this um, nationalist leader, Meral Askener. Yeah. They reconciled afterwards. They had a dinner where they, was, they staged yeah, a photo yeah, yeah. between her and uh, the, the candidate, Kilich
3: Doro. Yeah, it was uh, not a good sign, of course. Uh, I mean, will they be able to keep it together until May? It's a big uh, question. And then, um, again, they are maybe not very... Uh, uh, um, uh, they, they don't impress uh, the people. We don't know uh, their program. They want to get rid of the presidential system because they say that uh, it's uh, it's no good for Turkey. But um, the game is open. That's why what is interesting in this election that the game is open and that after twenty years and uh, uh, an incapacity to deliver what he promised uh, uh, which is a, a stable economy mr erdogan uh, is uh, really in trouble i think
0: right, well the incumbent is uh, not one to shy away from a fight erdogan confident he can run on his record including his handling of last month's earthquake the deadliest in centuries for turkey
4: i̇şte bunun için- That is why we want to turn the 14th of May into an auspicious race that will erase the traces of the destruction of the 6th of
3: February
1: by saying, for Turkey right now.
0: This could go one of two ways, Adam Plowright, right? Because you have, on the one hand, the criticism in areas where the relief was slow to come, and on the other, this promise that uh, he's going to hand out uh, cash for those uh, who are in need.
2: Yeah, I think it's one of, when you create. A system, a political system based around one man, uh, which Erdogan has, has has done during his his time in power. Um, that's that's all very well when things are going well. When things turn badly, it, as as things have done in in, in recent history in in, his, in Turkey with the economy and then and now with the, with the earthquake, it's very very hard to 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 escape the criticism scrutiny that comes with that.
4: And I think that's going to uh, pursue him going into the election. Joseph Zvek, well, I think it's kind of interesting the. The last big earthquake in, in Turkey was in 1999 and that was just a year before Erdogan got elected or AKP uh, for the first time came to power. And part of the election story at that time was uh, that the earthquake was badly managed and, um, and now history seems to be repeating itself and we're sort of going full circle and uh, we ha- again have an earthquake and again bad management and, um, and, uh, and in an election that is really competitive. Uh, as was said. So, so it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very curious to see what it also means for, um, I mean, for Turkey-EU relations, for, for the whole geopolitical mm-hmm. s- situation, uh, Greece, uh, the fights in the Eastern Mediterranean. There's a, there's a lot to cover there and, and see if if such a government comes into place, uh, if they will depart sort of from Erdogan's course in foreign policy.
1: Yeah, I just need to come back on that because it, those are very um, significant areas, but there's so much that Erdogan has had a hand in in terms of foreign policy. So you look at the Ukraine grain deal to export that from Odessa and Turkey it has basically broken that and, and is putting that in place. So what would happen after that in terms of its relations with various states? Look at it trying to block... Um, Sweden's accession to NATO. And um, then you go back to the conflicts in Libya, where Turkey had a very active role, or in, uh, around Nagorno-Karabakh. It's been really quite aggressive on the, on the foreign policy scene. So if Erdogan were to go, and this was the end, it would really change a huge amount in the region, really.
0: Turkey, which, uh, uh, when it comes to the war in Ukraine, on the one, for one side, it supplies drones, and for
3: the other, it imports uh, gas and oil. Yeah, it's a very uh, they play this uh, Erdogan knows uh, quite well to play this uh, kind of game uh, uncertainty. It was maybe also a kind of a tradition from Turkey because uh, during the Second World War there were also uh, uh, with the Allies and not with the Allies, uh, so they were unaffiliated. Uh, um, so maybe it's the same kind of thing. The, the problem is that uh, he has a strange uh, relationship with Putin. He has per- personified a lot of uh, power and he has a very personified, it's not an institutional uh, relationship with Russia, but a personal relationship with Putin. So maybe he, if he leaves power um, from this point of view, uh, but uh, a lot have, uh, has been done uh, in terms of uh, uh, being very much more closer to Russia. And we know that. Uh, but just recently, it was uh, yesterday or two days ago, uh, finally, uh, Turkey decided to, uh, not to give uh, the way to the export uh, of products to um, Russia. Um, uh, because uh, Turkey is not uh, applying the th- sanctions, it's the only uh, NATO state that uh, doesn't do this. So uh, maybe there is a little uh, change, but still, uh, Putin and Erdogan has, are doing a lot in the in the Black Sea. They are uh, uh, they have commercial deals uh, between and, them. And, and Marie, what's your prediction? One round or two? I would say one round. (laughs) That's a (laughs) bold But you don't know yet for which... uh... The last survey is giving uh, 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 57% to Kilij who is not a very charismatic uh, leader, so it's a surprise, and uh, 43% to, to Erdogan. I think it will, Erdogan will, will have a tough time because I don't see how he could, uh, uh, he's a kind of guy doing miracles like he's a magician and some, quite often uh, the conditions are favorable to him. But this time I don't see what he could do just to, to win because I have the feeling that uh, he's, uh, he's finished. All right. There's a prediction. A lot of time left (laughs) between now and May the 14th, though. Here in France,
0: the president faces the wrath of the street. More than a million once again this week, marching against his pension reform plan. For better treatment, Emmanuel Macron can thank, well, the British prime minister. Before taking the Eurostar for a Paris summit, Uh, Rishi Sunak gushing in an interview with uh, French newspaper Le Figaro calling Macron, quote, assuredly a great friend. Forget the days of Boris Johnson and Liz Truss. Friday's first such summit in five years paves the way for a visit by King Charles to the French capital later this month.
4: We have a history that binds us. We have shared values that underpin the solidarity and friendship between our peoples setting aside what happens on the football or rugby pitch, but I won't go further into the sport references, given what we've got coming up.
0: 5.45pm Paris time, Saturday. England versus France, rugby. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're not going to talk about rugby right now. Uh, Adam, Plow, <laughs> Adam Plowright, uh, the crunch aside. Uh, so, first off, what do you make of that? Of that body language there between Sunak and Macron—is that just Macron the way he's with every leader?
2: I mean, Macron's notoriously tactile, and you know, sort of hugs <laughs> anybody. Yeah, comes up the steps at the, at the presidential palace. But I don't think that we should read probably too much into the back slapping and the and the handshakes and all that sort of thing. But um, but just their their presence, you know, together having a British Prime Minister walk up the steps of the palace is. it. Once upon a time, that was something pretty unremarkable. It happened every year. Uh, you would have you know regular meetings. British government ministers would be in Paris, and vice versa. And really, for five years, all of that stopped. I mean, it was um, you know it's been extraordinary. This is the, as you said, it's the first the first summit in um, in five years. But it wasn't just a leaders meeting today. You had seven ministers from the British government who travelled with Sunak into Paris. So it was a you know it was a, it was a major government meeting, and um, and that is yeah you know, a real. Yeah, and it follows. A, and it
0: follows this breakthrough on uh, the the on trade with the EU.
2: That's right. I think that helps yeah, enormously sort of set the, you know, create an atmosphere in which, um, you know, they could talk about restoring trust. And I think, you know, when you listen to the, the, the French side for the last five years, that was what they considered to be uh, lacking in the relationship, particularly with Boris Johnson, that they felt was somebody who would say one thing in public and then and then brief journalists behind um, behind their back and, and, and say something else. And you saw sort of multiple meetings sort of descend into, you know, publicly it was, it was quite friendly and then it very quickly descended into sort of acrimony afterwards when when stories would appear in the british newspaper and it would go down you know very badly here in paris
0: are are you surprised that it's going this well joseph devec
4: well uh, i think uh, rishi sunak is since a long time the first adult in the room in the uk <laughs> so um, so he does a thing that adults do and um, he tries to solve problems and i think this is what he has been doing Since he has been in power uh, on the economy, if you look at trade, the relationship with the EU, now France, uh, the migration thing that has been cooked up as the sort of big, um, you know, culture war issue uh, in in the UK, possibly replacing Brexit because uh, there's more common sense there. Um, So so I think Rishi Sunak is right. Uh, He has an election to win in, I think, two years or something. He has to have a turnaround for his government. The polls are bad. And I think we're at a point where, where only decent results can get him somewhere. Uh, otherwise, he's lost. Uh, otherwise, Labour is there, um, and uh, and he's going for it. He has nothing nothing to lose uh, to to go to Paris.
0: C- Catherine norris Trent, uh, the the uh, the pinnacle of this Friday meeting uh, was this uh, uh, pact they've agreed upon uh, for uh, boosting. Uh, the security, particularly near the port of Calais, uh, and uh, the the creation of a new detention centre.
1: Yeah, well, that was the pinnacle for Rishi Sunak because if you looked at the British press... This Friday, before the visit, they were talking about, you know, Rishi Sunat's going to go to Paris and they're going to talk about immigration, stopping these small boats coming across the channel. It was very much his emphasis. And he announced the creation of a new detention centre in northern France. But when Emmanuel Macron spoke, he spoke a lot about joint security and Ukraine. And then he also, you know, said, and also, of course, we're going to reinforce beach patrols. So they were very different priorities for this visit. Rishi Sunak um, is coming because obviously there's a huge amount of domestic pressure. There's a lot of scandal about the proposed uh, immigration law to basically detain anyone who comes over on a small boat for 28 days with no uh, legal recourse and then basically ban them from ever coming back to the UK or ever claiming asylum, which is very, very controversial here in France, but also among um, part of the UK public opinion too. So, But he's got to keep the right wing of his Conservative Party happy, I guess, to to try and keep them on board.
0: And immigration seems to be the the issue of uh, the uh, French and the UK unveiling that pact uh, after the new bill that was introduced, as Catherine says, earlier in the week at Westminster, and one that is certainly turning heads. If you come here illegally, you can't claim
4: asylum. You can't benefit from our modern slavery protections. You can't make spurious human rights claims. And you can't stay.
0: Modern slavery protections, that one's come in for a lot of mocking, Catherine.
1: Yeah, I mean... What does
0: that mean, first of all?
1: Well, they introduced changes to the law in the UK saying that you could um, appeal being sent to Rwanda or something if you said that you'd been basically a victim of modern slavery. So now they're trying to close that loophole, which has been widely used by uh, uh, lawyers trying to protect their, their clients, their asylum seeker clients. So he's... Basically, trying to square a circle, um, and it's very doubtful whether this will get through the courts. I'm not sure about the UK courts, but then the European courts. I mean, it's they're, they're on very, very thin ice here.
0: The courts, they, the so they, they know they're going to have trouble with the UK's courts, and they've said they're not going to leave the European Court of Human Rights anyway, Marie-Jo. So is all this a bit of a storm in a teacup?
3: Uh, it's yeah, I, I think. Uh, uh, it's a storm in a in, in a teacup, in indeed. And then uh, uh, it looks so um, irrational what uh, Mr. Sunak just said that you can you cannot come uh, illegally. But I mean, <laughs> this is uh, the fate of most of the illegal because migrants. there are legal so...
1: pathways to claim asylum. Um, ah, yeah, usually there are to... a few exceptions, just yeah. for Ukrainians or there had been for Afghans. But there are many legal pathways to claim mm. asylum without. Coming first to the
0: opposition's been asking why not set up a migrant processing centre in Calais uh, where they could tender those applications. Has that been on the well, table? Well, the, the
2: government has said um, when introducing the legislation that this was, you know, this was sort of the repressive side of it to, you know, stop people coming. And then at some point in the future, they would look at opening up some more. Um, more legal routes into the uk which as Catherine says at the moment are are extremely limited um from what i understand of of talking to 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 people in france and on the british side on this is that you know it's very much that is they want to sequence this that you know the law will get passed and then at some point they will they will they will look at it and i would be extremely surprised if um if either france or britain were were happy to open uh, an office that would allow people to apply for asylum around Calais.
0: Adam, I promise we wouldn't talk rugby, but let's talk political football here for a second. Uh, the government's plan in the UK has somehow morphed into a Twitter war. And now the suspension of former England striker Gary Lineker as host of uh, the BBC's Match of the Day highlights program. Now, it all started with Lineker calling the Home Secretary's statement, quote, beyond awful, and then it went south from there. Uh, responding to one Twitter, used it, to Twitter user on Tuesday, Lineker called it, quote, an immeasurably cruel policy and talked about a language that was not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 1930s. This, in turn, got the Daily Mail going, Britain's leading tabloid putting Lineker on its front page, not one, not two, but uh, three days in a row, and counting, because again, the BBC has announced that Lineker has to quote take a step back uh, from uh, uh, presenting uh, this week. Uh, Catherine,
1: that's right. I mean, he it's basically um, a way to um, hit out at the BBC, which is seen by right-wing um, press and um, politicians and s- supporters as too lefty liberal. And they don't like high paid stars like Gary Lineker uh, openly criticizing the government. And they say he should be impartial. So he was never once shown a red or yellow card during his professional footballing career, but now he has been. So y-
0: Josef Devek, can a sports presenter give his political opinions on Twitter?
4: Sure. Afterwards, doing comparisons to Nazi Germany in 98% of the cases is usually a terrible idea. It's not a good idea. Um, <laughs> You'd never win an argument that way, right? So, uh, so yeah. So, I think, um, uh, I think it's not a fair. Uh, I mean, it's more nuanced the way he, he, he did it in his tweets, but generally, mm. it's just a terrible idea. Um, but generally, this migration story, in a sense, I'm asking myself if it's all just a big comms story. Because this migration reform, it's likely to be stroking down in courts. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you look the way at how Sunak presents it with the big thing, stop the boat. Mm-hmm. I mean, this mm. is like, it's pure comms. He basically mm. wants to get in the Instagram feed of, of people uh, who are attempting to migrate to the UK and give them a feeling of you're not welcome. His speech is you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this. It's basically an inversion, you know, we see it there, it's an inversion of Obama's yes you can, you know, it's <laughs> always what you can't. So in a sense, he he tries to get to the migrants and reach them, you know, via these statements, via these pictures and social media and tell them don't come. Uh, I think that is ultimately, probably, the goal of, of of this policy. Or British public opinion as well. And both, yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: by the way, I said three days in counting for the Daily Mail. I would bank on uh, the story again being on the front page Saturday because <laughs> Ian Wright, the former uh, uh, England striker, has said he doesn't want to... Be on the show if
2: uh, Gary Lineker is not there. Shira. And Alan Shearer. Breaking
4: news. Breaking Solidarity. There's
2: a yeah. sort of you know for our you know, audience watching sort of outside <laughs> of Britain. I mean, there's a sort of you know there's this is footballing royalty, isn't it? Yeah. That's sort of all, all you know clubbing together behind uh, behind Gary Lineker. But, uh, but the
0: football is, it has has been at the forefront of speaking out on issues uh, that involve human rights of late.
2: Well, it's interesting. To see, you know, footballers in Britain taking on far more political. Uh, roles we saw it with with Marcus Rashford the Manchester United striker who who has also been you know, incredibly critical of the of the Conservative government um and Gary Lineker and this is I mean this is probably uh this is a continuation really of, of of his views on on the current government I mean he's he doesn't hold back generally on Twitter but I think because this is such a sensitive point and comes at, at such a sensitive moment uh and and as Catherine said, you know, people are constantly looking for any opportunity, you know, to, to, to criticize the BBC from both sides. And I think he's ended up in the middle of a, um, you know, a hugely a difficult sort of moment for the government that are, that are looking to sort of distract from that as much as possible.
0: Marie Jigot, is it just comms or, or, as, as Joseph was saying, and this will just
3: kind of blow over or... Are we living? Are we playing with fire a little bit with this? The, this? No, I don't think it will go uh, further. But uh, it's uh, amazed me, uh, as he, this uh, Gary Lineker is not a, a staff uh, member of uh, BBC. So why should he be tied to the BBC rules? Uh, and again, he, he, he didn't do it uh, during uh, his, uh, his um, time on TV. He did it on Twitter. So why punishing him when he gives he just gives his opinion
1: and at the same time you have the chairman of the BBC the big boss who according to a Sunday Times report a few weeks before he was given that job while Boris Johnson was prime minister Richard Sharp the chairman helped Boris Johnson to secure an 800,000 pound loan So if you're going to question impartiality and where you stand, I mean, there are several big senior Tory party, Conservative party figures on the BBC board. So there are real questions about its future, unfortunately, because it is a great organisation.
0: Gary Lineker, who famously once stated... Football's a simple game, 22 men chase a ball for 90 minutes, and at the end, the Germans always win. Uh, Them are words that sting if you're a fan of Paris Saint-Germain, the team of Neymar, Messi, and Mbappé, unceremoniously bounced this week from the Champions League by Bayern Munich, crashing out at the first hurdle of the knockout phase. Fortunately, though... We're out of time, so we won't be able to discuss that. Thank uh, I want <laughs> Catherine Doris <laughs> Trent. I want to thank. I want to thank uh, Joseph Tavec, Marie Jego, Adam Parry. Thank you for being with us here in the world this week.